we often have Christmas hopes, Christmas expectations, and sometimes even Christmas dreams. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Come on. Just like the ones I used to know. This time of year, we eagerly anticipate all of the things that we will enjoy on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. The friends, the family, the memories, and of course, the food. Along with that, we can also at times experience varying degrees of Christmas anxiety, Christmas frustration, perhaps even Christmas dread. Some of the men know exactly what I'm talking about because they haven't, as of this moment, done any of their Christmas shopping yet. So, gentlemen, let's, let's get on it. Take it from me. Amazon, two-day two delivery, it definitely works. Uh, I do just ask that you keep from ordering until the end of the sermon, until the service is over. I do have to say, I actually am doing pretty well this year. Uh, Phibia does the vast majority of our Christmas shopping, but for the few gifts that I do need to purchase, I've got almost all of them. I've got one left, so I'm pretty proud of myself. The Christmas season can bring to the fore all kinds of different emotions. Sometimes even conflicting of emotions of, of joy and, and sorrow, happiness and sadness sort of all mixed together. Add to that in this season, there, there is just a lot to do, isn't there? Christmas lights to be put up, Christmas trees to cut down. I am a fan of artificial trees. Got my way this year. We've got the artificial trees set up. I like cutting them down too. We've got Christmas trees to decorate, Christmas cookies to be made, Christmas cards to be sent out, Christmas decorations to take out of the attic and then set out. We've got Christmas gifts to buy, Christmas parties to attend, Christmas traditions to be kept, and so on and so forth. Put it all together. I think you'll agree with me. It's no wonder that we can struggle at times in this season to keep our hearts centered on the one who is the reason for our for the season, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the burden that Jeremy and I, as your pastors, carry in this Advent series and today for ourselves, for our families. And for all of you, uh, we love you. We care for you. Our hearts, every time we step into the pulpit, is to, is to serve you and care for you. And our heart for all of us is we deeply desire that in this season, every person and every family in Grace Community Church would feel the gravity, the weightiness, the sheer joy of what took place a little over 2,000 years ago when Jesus came into the world as our Savior. That's our hope for this series, that we would feel what God wants us to feel as we consider the glory 
of the incarnation. I, I just trust that the Lord this morning, brothers and sisters, I don't, I don't know where your hearts and minds were at coming into this room, but I believe that the Lord wants to meet each and every one of us, pour out his Holy Spirit on us, and help us to see and savor and delight in our wondrous Savior, Jesus. Our text today is Hebrews 2. Verses 14 to 18. Hebrews 2, verses 14 to 18. Let's prepare our hearts in this moment to be addressed by God himself. This is God's word. Hebrews 2, we begin reading in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help. He is able to help those who are being tempted. May God, by His Holy Spirit, bless the preaching of His Word and write its eternal truth upon our hearts. In order to help us this morning to focus and perhaps refocus our hearts and minds on the true reason for the season, I want to answer the simple question What is Christmas mainly about? Another way of asking the same question is, why did Jesus come into the world on that first Christmas? What was the goal of his coming? I offer you four reasons from the text. Jesus came into the world first to destroy the devil. This is a happy message. (laughs) You're going to hear me saying Merry Christmas a lot because Jesus did some wonderful things. He came into the world to destroy the devil. In verse 14, we read that Jesus partook of flesh and blood. In other words, he became human. He became a man. He entered the sphere of our existence on that first Christmas in order, as the text says, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death That is the devil. You'll recall that in the Garden of Eden, Satan tempted, he incited, he enticed Eve to sin, which in turn led Adam to sin. The tragic consequence, as we all know, was death, both physical and spiritual death for Adam and Eve, as well as their posterity, as well as their descendants. Since then, the devil has continued to wreak horrible havoc on the human race. He is an evil tyrant, a wicked despot, an authoritarian oppressor. His aim? 
The same as it always has been. To ruin, to kill, to destroy human beings made in the image of God. Here in verse 14, the author of Hebrews informs us of some very, very, very good news. Jesus entered the sphere of human existence on that first Christmas in order to die on the cross and thereby destroy the devil. When they sinned, you may recall, God promised Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman, what does it say? Would crush the head of the serpent. And wonderfully, that promise was fulfilled by Christ himself on the cross. I don't know about you, but I, I absolutely love manger scenes. My wonderful 10-year-old daughter, Ruthie, the other day, we were in her room and she pulled out this manger scene. This manger scene that actually had been broken. The pieces had, had been broken. They had come off the scene and she worked very, very hard at restoring this, this manger scene. She did, she did an amazing job at it. In her scene, Mary, Joseph, the stable, the animals, the cradle, the wise men, the shepherds, the baby, Jesus, they're all, if you just look at it, they're just perfectly and carefully placed. And I just love, I love looking at that thing. I love looking at that beautiful manger scene. It's just, it's so beautiful. It's so calm. It's just, it's so serene just to look at. It just feels peaceful. Do you agree? Just to look at a a manger scene, it just feels peaceful to sit there and look at it. As wonderful as that image is, and we all love it, as wonderful as that image is, I remind you all of what you well know. The babe in the manger didn't just stay in a manger. He obviously didn't remain a baby forever. Rather, he grew up. He grew up to die on the cross in order to crush the head of the serpent. That is, destroy the devil. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus defeated the devil and secured his final destruction. And while his final destruction awaits the last day. One day the Bible says that he will be thrown into the lake of fire. While Satan's final destruction awaits the last day, we need to be reminded, even now, even today, even in this age, our enemy is a defeated enemy. He is an ousted enemy. He is a conquered enemy. Much like the Nazi army was just prior to the end of World War II. At the end of World War II, they were defeated, yet they they still fought bitterly and furiously. But they were done. They were defeated. And their doom was sure. Likewise, at the cross, Jesus defeated the devil. And while the enemy still inflicts great harm on people, we must be clear, dear brothers and sisters. Our enemy, even now, is a defeated enemy. Even in this present age, his power is limited by God himself, who reigns supreme over all things. Evil cannot, indeed, it will not win the day. 
Lo, his doom is sure, as the hymn says. Jesus says that he came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Isaiah says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. We sang about it this morning. I ask you, how does Christ's government increase? Well, it increases as people like you and me are saved, liberated, and set free from captivity to sin and Satan in order to serve and to worship the living God. Praise God that his government is increasing. And this gathering here this morning and gatherings all across the land and all across the world are evidence of the government and kingdom of our Savior, Jesus Christ, growing and expanding in our world. Matthew Henry writes, The heart of God is much upon the advancement of the kingdom of Christ among men, which is very comfortable or sets at peace all those that Wish well to it. Do you wish well to the kingdom of God? Do you wish well to the kingdom of Christ? Be encouraged. The heart of God is much upon the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. Henry concludes, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will overcome all opposition. In these difficult days, May we thank God that from the first century up to this very day, even in the face of fierce opposition from the dark forces of evil, lost people have continued to be saved. God's kingdom has continued to grow. Christ's church has continued to be built. By God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit and the faithful witness of God's people in the days ahead, the Lord's church will continue to be built Surely, as Jesus said, the gates of hell, what does he say? They will not prevail against it. It's the promise. It's the promise of Jesus to us. So, I want to say to all of you, Merry Christmas. What good news that at the first Christmas, Jesus came into the world to bring about Satan's doom and destruction. Jesus came, second point, to deliver from fear. More specifically, to deliver from fear of death. He came to destroy the devil, verse 15, please look there, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We can relate to this verse, can't we? Every human being who has ever lived has experienced at some level, at some point in time, fear of death. We instinctively fear, we wonder, we ask, what will happen to me when I die? This is wonderful. Here the author of Hebrews tells us Jesus came into the world in order to deliver us completely. Like 100% from that fear. What tremendous comfort to know that when we who have put our faith in Jesus breathe our last breath, our souls will immediately be, can you imagine it, in the conscious presence of the Lord. Jesus called this intermediate state paradise. 
The Apostle Paul said he'd rather be there with Christ than here. In this intermediate state, deceased believers await the second coming of the Lord. When at that time when he comes, their souls will be reunited with their resurrected, glorified bodies. And they, that is we, will dwell for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. This Christmas, as Christians, I remind all of you, part of what we celebrate at Christmas, part of what we celebrate at this time of year, is that because of what that babe in the manger accomplished as a man through his death and resurrection, we here today need not be among those who fear death. We can rest secure. Our souls, our souls can be at peace. We can face the future confident of what lies ahead. This truth also has potential to bring wonderful, profound, deep comfort during this time of year when many of us mourn the loss of dear loved ones and relatives that we miss. We miss them, don't we? They're not here with us this Christmas. We so wish they were. They're with the Lord. My mind this morning goes to my grandparents. My grandfather, I've mentioned this before to you, Bob Patton died in 2014. My grandmother, Barbara Patton, after a long bout with Alzheimer's disease, died earlier this year. To my sorrow, I will never in this life see grandma and grandpa again. I loved them. They loved the Lord. They had an impact on my life. I miss them. That said, because Christ conquered death, praise the Lord, I know I will see them again. And you also, dear brothers and sisters, one day before too long, we'll see your relatives and friends and loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord. That's another reason why this is a Merry Christmas. Jesus came to take away our fear of death. Third point. Jesus came to save sinners. To save sinners. In verse 17, the author of Hebrews explains that Jesus entered our world. He was made like his brothers, that is us, in order to become a merciful and faithful high priest who would become a propitiation for our sins. Now that is a mouthful. This verse, verse 17, is just packed with rich biblical doctrine. I was talking to Jeremy and said, this, this verse was the most challenging in my preparation because a whole sermon could very easily be preached on this one verse. Uh, but given our time limitations this morning, I'm not going to do that. I'm simply going to highlight one essential truth contained in verse 17, and 
That is this. Jesus entered our world on that first Christmas. He became like us. He became a man so that he could become a propitiation for us. Now, propitiation is a big word. We don't use it every day. Jesus became our propitiation. In summary, what that means is that our Savior, Jesus, in love, absorbed God's holy wrath, his righteous indignation, his just anger in our place on the cross. Just to be clear, God's anger is not to be compared with our anger, which is ordinarily sinful. God's anger is never out of control. It's never unholy. It's never tainted in any way, shape, or form by sin. God's anger instead is measured anger. It is controlled anger. And it's holy anger as well. It's righteous anger. It's just anger. Now I know for most of us it's all of us, really. It's not our preference to think of God as being angry with us. Most people like to think God and me, we're good. Most people like to think I'm a pretty good person. Just as so long as I live a decent life and don't seriously hurt anyone, I'm sure that God will accept me. The trouble is, that is not the God of the Bible. You see, God created us in love to serve and to worship and to obey him. Yet sadly and tragically, every one of us has rejected his rule and reign. We have rebelled. We've chosen to live life our own way instead of God's way. We've chosen to live for our own selfish desires rather than God. We've disobeyed God's good laws and commands. We've stiff-harmed God and say, said, God, said essentially, God, I don't want you as part of my life. I don't want you interfering. I can handle this myself. Because God is just, he can't just let bygones be bygones. He can't just not punish those who have outright rejected his rule and reign. He takes our rebellion against him. Seriously. He is righteously angry with our sin, the Bible says, and must punish us for it. And the wages of sin, Scripture says, is death. The wages of sin is eternal separation from God in hell. Which is why, as our text makes clear, Jesus came into the world. The Son of God came into the world. He became man in order to become a propitiation for us. In love, he became like us so that he could take our place as our representative. On the cross, God poured out the wrath, the anger, the punishment that you and I deserved. He poured it out on his son Jesus instead of us. In love, Jesus propitiated the wrath of God for those who would but put their faith in him. Here's where this leads us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God's anger, his wrath towards you 
has been far and forever and eternally removed from you. Your sins will never, ever, ever be counted against you. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he taken your sins away from you. Because of Jesus Christ, you and I are not objects of God's wrath, but instead the object of his lavish, rich, overwhelming favor and blessing. May we not forget this Christmas that the babe in the manger, Jesus, is the cross, Jesus, is the propitiation, Jesus. Merry Christmas, brothers and sisters. This Jesus is the one that we celebrate this Christmas. Now, just a brief word here. I know there, there's some watching online or are here and you don't know Christ. If you have yet to put your faith in him, I want to just urge you, plead with you, beg you, please don't delay. Jesus came to this world to give his life for you, to lay, lay it down for you. Please ask him to forgive you of your sins. Please turn from your sins. The alternative is eternal separation from God. So I urge you, receive the forgiveness and the eternal life that he graciously gives. And may this Christmas here in 2020, as you receive his salvation, be the happiest, most joyful Christmas you've ever experienced because you've received eternal life. Fourth and final point. The Son of God came into the world on that first Christmas in order to become our sympathizer. This might surprise you. That's one of the things we're celebrating this Christmas. Let's read verses 17 and 18 again. Please look there. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, hear the word of the Lord, he's able to help. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Why did the Son of God come into the world? The text helps us to see it is so that he could become like us. It is so that he could relate to us. It is so that he could sympathize with us. It is so that he could help us. Our Lord is able to help us when we ourselves are tempted as one who was himself tempted during his 33 years of life on earth. On this point, commentator Matthew Henry writes as follows. Allow your heart to be I've got two quotes from two dead guys. I like quoting from dead guys. Uh, allow your heart to... I, I picked them because I hoped that they would minister to you. So please prayerfully listen. Henry writes, He is touched with a feeling of our infirmities. 
a feeling. Just note, note each and every word. He is touched. So Jesus' heart is touched with a feeling of our infirmities. A sympathizing physician, tender and skillful. He knows how to deal with tempted, sorrowful souls because he has been himself sick of the same disease. Not of sin. Not of sin. But of temptation. And trouble of soul. The remembrance of his own sorrows and temptations makes him mindful of the trials of his people and ready to help. Ready to help. John Calvin similarly says, whenever any evils pass over us, let it ever occur to us that nothing happens to us but what the Son of God has himself experienced in order that he might sympathize with us. Nor let us doubt, but that he is at present with us as though he suffered with us. Dear brothers and sisters, this is what Christmas is about. No matter what you may be going through today, you have a Savior. You have a Savior who came to earth. He came to earth on that first Christmas for you. For your sake. And you have a Savior who is walking with you right now. In the immediate. Today. And He sympathizes with you. He is tender hearted towards you. He knows how to deal with you in your sorrows. Please do not doubt this Christmas that He is present with you. He feels for you. Even now in your suffering, He is with you. So I urge you, I appeal to you, draw near to your beloved Savior who loves you so much. Draw near to Him this Christmas like never before. Draw near to Him and experience His presence, experience His comfort, experience His help. This is what Christmas is about. Our Savior, who came for us and is today walking with us still. Well, let's bring this to a close, and I'd like to ask Jason and the band to get ready to join me on the stage. Most of us would agree Christmas is, as the popular song says, a most wonderful time of year. Yet I remind you on this Sunday just before Christmas, this is a most wonderful time of year. Not mainly because there will be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. And it's not the happiest time of year mainly because of kids jingle-belling and much mistletoeing, at least for married people. And hearts glowing when loved ones are near. It is the happiest time of year mainly because we have a Savior. 
A Savior who has defeated Satan. A Savior who has delivered us from fear of death. A Savior who has laid down his life for us on the cross to turn away God's wrath from us. A Savior who sympathizes with us in all our sorrows, all our infirmities, all our temptations, all our sufferings. Let us draw near to him and celebrate him today and in the week ahead. Merry Christmas, and God bless you. Let's stand together.